Good morning, everybody. Amazingly, whew, we're at the finish line. Davchaf in Meseches Pesachim is what we will learn today. And Davchaf uh, Aleph, we already started a new parak. So, and today, Bezrat Hashem, we will not finish the parak because it's on the next daf, and we're starting 12 lines up from the bottom of Yates Amad Bez. But we will finish our Chaninas Kanak Ohanim Bezrat Hashem. So, great job, everybody. It's been quite a week, and nobody can ever take it away from you. You learned through Chaninas Kanak Ohanim, at least reread the words. But um, we, I think we learned a lot. Thank you, Kalman, for your insights uh, and infusion. I hope this isn't your last day, because he's known for loving Chaninas Kanak Ohanim. That's his sugya. Okay, so 12 lines up from the bottom of Yates Amad Bez. So, we go back to talking about the needle found in the flesh of the korban. So, Ularav, the Amar, Kigonsh, Abdullah, Machat, Tamei, Mei, Svikir, Babasa, remember, there was a needle, it was Tamei, and it was found in the meat. And we were questioning, uh, when we learned uh, Rav Hanina's testimony, as it were, that, that we assumed that the needle was Tamei. The question is, why would you assume that? So, there were, first, the discussion was, well, can you assume when you see something in the streets of Yerushalayim, or outside the streets of Yerushalayim, or in certain areas where Tamei people walk, and you have a suffix, can you assume that that item is in fact tummy or not? Did this animal, perhaps this animal came from outside Yerushalayim and it was it had a muzzle on, and therefore we know for sure that, that it ingested this needle outside Yerushalayim? Those were some of the suggestions, and that was a very, very interesting discussion, right? Calendrical coincidence, we should say, I should have started by saying, Happy Hanukkah, everybody. It's the first day of Hanukkah today, and we are talking about the idea of the Tumah, Bershus Arabim, which is a famous kasha, that the oil itself, which is very related to our sugyas, the first thing that the Kohanim were being tested by Haggai, um, the tomb of Atara was always going to be an indication of the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash. It's during the time of the base of Mikdash and the Karbanas that you have to worry about the tomb of Atara. So maybe we have to worry about it as we celebrate Hanukkah. Maybe we have to worry about it again very soon. Okay, so those were all the suggestions. Now, one of the suggestions you might recall was that you recognize this pin. You know where this pin has been. It's Aunt Mildred's pin. She's part of the Chevrolet Kadisha. She handled Tmei Mace. She was wearing this pin like as a brooch, let's say. And now you recognize that pin. So says the Gemara. And according to Rav, who says that the case is, the reason why the pin is Tamei is because of the Lamachat, because he lost the pin to Tmei Mace, right? And Mildred lost the pin. And she, we know that she was Tamei Mace because she was handling a mace. And sure enough, we said that's Aunt Mildred's very singularly unique brooch. We see it. That's where it is. It somehow managed to stick itself into the flesh of this inside of this animal. So according to that, Mount Amar, how, why then do we say that we know that a person's hands and or knife, as he's shechting it, the coins of the hands or knife might become tummy? Cave into Amar Mar Bechalal Cherev. Well, we have a pasuk, right? We have a pasuk that whenever metals on metal, um, that the me- or metal touches tuma, I should say, it actually can contract that tuma. That pasuk of Bechalal Cherev teaches us what? The Cherev Harehu Kachalal. That metal objects that touch tumas mace become like a halal, which is to say that metal is very susceptible to Tumas Mace. It requires the same degree of Tumah, and therefore, if in fact, Aunt Mildred was handling the brooch while she was part of the Chavit's Kedisha, then that, that needle is in fact going to be an Ava Tumah. It's going to be a very high level of Tumah, if that's the case. So we're saying, according to Rav, we actually found a very, very highly Tumah needle here. So then, according to that opinion, therefore, the Gemara says, So therefore, the needle should be contaminating the coin's hands and and also the, the, the knife, the chalaf, right? It should also be, um, it should also be in the tame, the shrita knife. So then why are we saying that the hands in the shrita knife are tahor? So the Gemara answers, Amar Vashi Zepamerit, Azara Rishus HaRabim Hi, V'Havalei Sfeik Tumah Rishus HaRabim, V'Kol Sfeik Tumah Rishus HaRabim Sfeiko Tahor. Amazing Chiddush is what I mean for Hanukkah. Vashi is saying it's a Chiddush. The Chiddush is that the Azara, 
right? The courtyard of the base of Mikdash is considered a Shusharabim, irrespective of how many people are there. Now, this is, harkens back to Masechus Shabbos, right? What is the definition of Rishus Arabim? So, remember, just because you're in Yerushalayim, let's say, or outside, wherever you are, it doesn't mean that you're an actual Rishus Arabim. That would require tremendous, like, right, a tremendous amount of people. We have criteria for Rishus Arabim. 600,000 people, etc. So, Azara doesn't have that number of people. However, it does have a very high traffic. And because of that, we hold that even if you have a minimum of three people, that area would be considered Rishus Arabim. That's the Chiddush. Once you have that Chiddush, then you could say that this needle is a suffix to ma. And then if it's a Suffolk Tumah, it's in Rishus Arabim, because of the fact that Rishus Arabim is such a high traffic area, we say that anything that's in a high traffic area that's a Suffolk Tumah is Tahar. And it's and once it's Tahar, in other words, it's Tahar because there's so many people that you can't possibly know that it's Tahar. Now the needle that they found, it wasn't a Suffolk Tumah. That was Aunt Mildred's needle. I, I can see that, it, but, but, but remember, we weren't sure whether we touched it, that's the point. In other words, when they did the Shechita, the Suffolk Tumah is on the hands and on the, and then on, on the knife. They weren't 100% sure that they touched it. So the hands and the knife are a suffix tumah, but you're right, your eyes that are telling me that the needle itself is not a suffix tumah, that, that is correct, okay? But the hands and the knife are suffix tumah. He had a, a, Rashi says it. Says Rashi. Azar is just a rabbi, the tumah, but Adam Visakin, right? Suffix nago bemachat. Right? Suffix nago bemachat. Zeh, suffix lo nago. The havale suffix tumah, just a rabbi. It's the suffix there is whether he touched it, not whether the needle is, is tummy. Okay. So right? Because according to Rav, we know that the needle is tummy, we recognize the needle. But the hands or the, the knife are a suffix, and it's in Rishusha Rabbim, etc. Okay. All right. Now, is this a precise answer? Let's see. The Gemara says, well, So he says, wait a minute. If your whole point is that the reason why we could say that the hands and the knife are tahor is because we consider the Azara to be Rishusha Rabbim, the implication then is that if the Azara was a Rishusha Yachid, that the hands and the knife would be tummy. Let's see if that actually turns out to be true. Methi, let us see. Well, the needle is what? It's an inanimate object. You can't ask it whether where it's been. Right? Um, the needle, and also it also contaminates a knife that you can't ask it where it's been. Now we have a separate, right? Separate halacha, right? Because we have a suffix, and as Rashi explains, the whole idea, right, of the suffix tumma is learned out of sota. Right, we know that the Sota itself, she's a Suffolk Tumah, because we don't know, she was, um, she's been accused of infidelity. Um, and so that accusation creates a doubt, and then we resolve, as we were talking about before with the May Sota, we resolve that doubt. So she's a Suffolk Tumah, but she herself knows the reality. So she's a Dover, she Yeshbo Dasli child. So the Limud we learn from there is that any time you have a Suffolk Tumah of an inanimate object that you can't ask it, then it's fake otahar. Now we'd have to obviously learn to see where that would apply, because if that's really true, so then why is there ever any type of suffix tumma? So we'll see that this, this uh, hava amina, that all inanimate objects, the suffix tumma, their suffix tumma is, in fact, uh, tahor is going to be short-lived hava amina. But be that as it may, what the Gemara is saying now is that Rav Ashi implies that the only reason the hands are tahor is because we have a suffix um, that in, in, a, in what is considered a Rosh Rabin, because the Azar is considered a Rosh Rabin. So what the Gemara is saying now is the implication of Ravashi is that if it was a Rosh Yachid, that it would in fact be Tomei, but it's an inanimate object. So the fact of the matter is that if it was a Rosh Yachid, we would also consider it to be Tahar because it's an inanimate object. So says the Gemara, no, that's not exactly a good inference because Mishum Dehavi Suffolk Tumah Habab Yidei Adam. It is in fact, right, the object itself was, was, um, was a Suffolk Tumah that was as a consequence of the actions of a person. We're going to see how this is so. Let's see. Rabbi Yochanan held that when you have a suffix tumma that's a consequence of an action of a person, which is called suffix tumma habab, they adam, right? 
as we get to, let's see the last Rashi, as before we get to Chafam Ralef, what does it mean? So Rashi says, Adam haya asukba, vim nagabo hasakim imachatali de adam nagabo. Hilachachim azar, shasayachat sveikotame. That it's in fact true. So again, the, that, that we said as follows, that Ravashi said that the reason why the hands and the knife are tahar is because the azar is considered to be a shasayachim. And suffik tame be I said, I said, Yachad, I meant Rabbim, because the Azar is considered just a Rabbim. And Safik, Tumab, Rishos, Rabbim, it's considered to be Tahar. We said, well, we're challenging the inference, therefore, that if the Azar was Rishos, Yachid, that the needle would be Tame. We said, that may not be true, because the needle is an inanimate object. So says Rashi, and explains the Gemara, that uh, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that if you have an inanimate object that was handled by a human being, right, be day Adam, so that, in fact, it would be Tame, which means that Ravashi's inference is correct, that even though it's an inanimate object, right, which normally you'd say is Feiko Tahar, in this case, the knife is an inanimate object which is Sveikotame, because even though it itself can't be interrogated, so to speak, it doesn't know where it's been, so to speak. The handler of the said knife, the coin, he or he who shechted this animal, he was the one holding the knife, and since he himself has das, right, then it's as if the inanimate object itself has that, so to speak, can be, can be interrogated, and therefore the knife could become Tame, even though it's an inanimate object. We call that concept, right, Suffik Tuma Haba Bidei Adam. Okay, so... So again, the Amar Yochanan Sekhtum Abavi Adam, as we get to Chacham Aleph, Nishal and Alea, right? You can, in fact, make a legal decision about it. Afilu Bichliya Munach Al Gabe Karka, even if, even if it's not even handled at the time in the hand of the person who used it, but even though it's an inanimate object and sitting on the ground, it's it can be, in fact, treated, says the Gemara. It can be treated like something that actually, right, that actually um, you can interrogate, just like a sota, and therefore it is true that inanimate objects can, in fact, uh, have a suffix, uh tuma that, that we will call it tame because it is, in fact, can be considered, right, like a sota in the sense that you can investigate. And so the reason, again, why these hands and this knife, in our case, in the testimony of Hanina Skana Kohanim, the reason why that they're going to be tahar is not going to be because they're in a shusai yachid, because then they could be tamein in a yachid. They're, in fact, going to be tahar by virtue of having been in the azara, which the chiddush is, is always, as long as there's three people in there or more, is always treated like a shusai rabim, and suffix tumma be rabim is tahar. And therefore, if you find oil in the azara, and, which is considered just a rabbi, and you have a suffix, whether that oil is tame, so maybe it could be treated as tahor, but we are going to always look to be mahadrim and mahadrim on this first day of Hanukkah and find the tahor um, jug of oil regardless. Okay, now, let's go to the next, we're going to take the next couple of pieces of Hanina's Gan Kohanim, and then we'll finish that section. So the next section is, two lines down, that the flesh is tame. So says the Gemara, ask the Gemara an interesting question. We always say that solids can't become tame unless they are moistened by liquids. That's called the hechsher lekabotuma, as we discussed. So ask the Gemara, "Hi, basar di kasher b'mai." What did this meat? What did this flesh of the animal get moistened by, so as to be considered tame? In other words, you have a dry. Oh, it's interesting. I've I've been to. A, have you ever had dry needling at the chiropractor? Oh, you have, Andrew. Very good. Yeah, I think I might get it today. Not because I want. To, my son says, as as a Hanukkah gift, he wants to be taken to the chiropractor. You ever heard of such a thing? These 20-year-olds are, are, are a different breed these days. Anyway, dry needling. So that made me think of it because you have a needle in dry flesh, okay? Now, if the needle's in dry flesh, how's the flesh going to be tummy? It doesn't have any moisture on it. Nothing is being mukh makshirit lakabotuma. That's the question of this Gemara. So maybe you'll say the interstitial blood, right? The blood that's around the animal that's flowing around while you're shutting it, okay? We already said this, that the only kind of down there, again, what needs to moisten uh, solids in order to make it Moksha Lakabal Tumah? One of the Zayn Mashkim, right? Yad Shachadam. So we said Yain, Dvash, 
right? Um, and then and then the shachar is the chalav. The I, I always forget the shin. Yain dvash, shaman. Right. Thank you. I you think on the first night of Hanukkah I remember shaman. Okay, so maybe now from now on I'll always remember because of in the schos of Hanukkah. So yad shachadam, yain dvash shaman, right? Shachat chalav tal, and then dam, and then mine. Um, so, okay, so those are the Zion mashkim. So the question is, dam is one of the Zion mashkim, and it should be considered something that that uh, primes, so to speak, the solids in order to be mikabel tuma. However. This dam is has to be. We learn from the pasuk that it's not just any dam. It has to be dam that's treated like water. So kachim is not dam that's treated like water because kachim you're not allowed to let it spill onto the ground and go to waste, right? The dam of kachim is collected in one of the clay hamikdash and then it's thrown on the mizbeach. That blood is a very different level of blood. So there's blood and there's blood. Just because it looks like blood and blood is thicker than water, you should know, Andrew. But just because it looks like blood. Doesn't mean that it can be machshel kabel tuma. Dam kachim is specifically not machshel kabel tuma. And in fact, this is a korban that's being shechted. So by definition, this blood we're being collected in a vessel. That's not going to be the blood that can be able to be machshel this kabel tuma. So again, if you're going to think that it's the blood of this korban, so only that blood, as we just said, that can be spilled on the ground is going to be machshel kabel tuma. So the Gemara says, okay, so then maybe there's another suggestion as to how this uh, meat is being mukshal kabotuma. Maybe So we said before the difference between the Beit Mitbachaya and the Beit Mizbachaya. Beit Mizbachaya is everything that goes on the Mizbeach. So that's going to be the water, the blood, the oil, or the wine. But here it's Beit Mitbachaya, which is the Shechting, right? We're not Shechting on top of the Mizbeach. We're in fact Shechting in the, in the Shechting section of the, uh, uh, right? In the, in, in our, there's a separate Shechting area. In that Shechting area, there's no wine there ever. There's no oil. That was purely blood and water. Okay, so you say, maybe the mashke beit mitbechaya, so if it's not the blood of the korban, so it would have to be the water. Because they used to, when they brought the korban, they used to wash the actual meat of the korbanos with water. So maybe that water, well that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you took the meat, and then you washed it, but wait a second. When did you wash it? You washed it at what stage? So let's see. Oh, we have a straight up statement from Rabbi Yossi in the name of Rabbi that, in fact, those water that was in the Beit Mitbachaya in the area, in the Shechting area, that water specifically has the halacha that not only is it tahar, dachan, as you might recall, means tahar, that that water is, is also uh, not machshir, this water, and so therefore it can't be that this water made the, the flesh susceptible to tumah. Now, that was actually a machlokas, you might recall. That was Rabbi Yehuda's original position, that li- that liquid is not machshir, but we'll see. Uh, uh, it's, it's not, as Birnbaum says, this is not pashut. But let's. But the Gemara will reveal this um, anyway. So let's continue. So let's. So the Gemara says another explanation. Okay. The Elad eat kosher, bechibas hakodesh. A beautiful idea. Chibas hakodesh says Rashi. Chibas hakodesh machsharta lavoli de tuma. The Kaimlon Perik sheni dishchitas chulin chibas hakodesh mashvila ochel kibule tuma. What Rashi here is saying is a beautiful idea. Chibas hakodesh, the esteem, the esteem for for holy things. What does that mean? It means that why we're learning something unusual. Why is it that a food that's dry, needs to be moistened in order to be makadal tumah, because dry foods in those days were not considered really edible, or were not considered edible enough to have uh, status, we'll call it, okay? So they needed to be moistened in order to be considered the most edible, and therefore to have status. Well, kachin don't need to be moistened to have status. They already have status. They're coming in, and they already have chashivas, and that's called chibas hakodesh. That the food, therefore, well, that would mean that the kachin don't need to be muksher at all, because they come with status regardless of that moistening. Aha, uh-huh. okay. 
So that is the, the explanation that this basar of the animal that was shechted doesn't need to be mukshel kabbal tumah. Okay. So says the Gemara. He says, wait a minute. Are you sure that chibas hakodesh, what we call the esteem, right, the chashivas of this, uh, is going to is going to be with regards to make it unfit for consumption? He says lemimna be rishon v'sheni nami. So he said, okay, with regards to the food itself, to the kachim, that it can be mekabel tumah. So for that, you could say chibas hakodesh works. But are you absolutely sure? What was the case here? You shechted the cow, and the cow had flesh in it, and the flesh had a needle stuck in it. In order for the needle to be tummy, the flesh of the cow would not would have to not only be makabal tumah, but would have to also be able to give tumah, to impart tumah. And so what the Gemara is saying here is, okay, so let's say chibas hakodesh, the fact that this had status, makes it so it doesn't need to be mushal kabal tumah. Sorry, it wasn't a great question. How did this become tumah? Tummy. Maybe, but maybe, but are you sure that this tummy meat also does not, also gives it the power, that this chibas hakodesh gives it the power not only to be makabal tumah, but also to impart tumah to the needle, in our case, to pass along tumah? Not so sure. Tiff showed the body of the race lockish because if it was true, and this is a little bit of an exercise here, if it was true that Kachim have the ability not only to be makabal tumah, but also to impart tumah to other things, then Reish Lakish would not have had a conundrum and a confusion about the following halacha. What was Reish Lakish's confusion? As follows. Sarid Shel Menachos, he inquired the following question. Let's say you found a dry lump in your mincha, right? And you're, you have, you have the um, flour and you have the korban mincha you're about to bring, but now you have Sarid, right? Sarud is when you have a sore throat, your throat is dry, you have, it's dry, and, and this dry lump of mincha, Moninbo Rishon Vesheni Allah. And the question with regards to this dry lump in the mincha, in the mincha, the question that Rish Lakish had was whether we count it in the right sequence of Rishon and Shani. What's the question? The real question is, you have a lump of a, basically a korban mincha, right? The korban that comes from carbs. And the, this korban touches something else. And we know there was, it was metame. We know it became tame. The question is, Rish Lakish wants to know, can it make something else tame? Well, this lump of dry carbs, this dry, lump of dry flour is in fact a korban. And if we had chibas hakodesh, and we knew that Chibas HaKodesh in every instance has the ability not only to contract Tumah, but to impart Tumah to something else, then Reish Lakish would not have been confused. He would have never asked the question. It would have been obvious to him that because of Chibas HaKodesh, this dry lump of the carbon Mincha can in fact contract Tumah and impart Tumah. And since it would have been right obvious to him, then he would have never asked the question. But we see from the fact that Reish Lakish did in fact ask the question and was unsure as to whether this carbon Mincha imparts Tomah to something else, that indicates to us that Chivas HaKodesh probably does not have the ability to impart Tomah to something else. Because if it did, Reish Lakish would have been aware of it and would have never asked the question. So again, what we're learning from here is that Chivas HaKodesh can make it such that we certainly should be taller around these Kachim because we can make these Kachim Tomah irrespective of whether it's moistened. Mind you, this dry clump of Mincha was by definition dry and therefore not moistened. And that made Reish Lakish not sure whether the Chibas HaKodesh, the aspect of it being Kodesh in itself, enables it to be metame other things. So it can't be that the needle became tame from the Basar because of the Chibas HaKodesh of the Basar that it was stuck in because in fact that, that Chibas HaKodesh makes the Basar potentially tame, but not tame enough to be metame the needle. So the more answer is, says, this is how the needle got Tameh. That it wasn't because of Chibas HaKodesh, because that's not enough to impart Tumah. And it wasn't because of the Dam of the, the Shachtim, because that's not uh, considered one of the Zayin Mashkim, because Allah Aris is Kamayim, and you need to have the Dam be Dam that can be thrown on the ground. So therefore, how did this meat, this flesh of the animal, become Mukshul to Lakabal Tumah to the extent that it could have imparted the Tumah onto the needle? Rabbi Hidu Amr says it was a parish of Zivchei Shlamim. What is unusual about the Shlamim? The shlamim was often, often hydrated. The animal would be hydrated by its owner, run hydrated all over the place. It would make the animal drink a lot and bring it through a river. 
What's going on here? Why are we hydrating this animal so much? Because the owners of the carpet shlamim were allowed to keep the skin of the animal. And therefore they wanted the skin to be easily removable and peeled off without tearing, and this was valuable to them. And in order to do that, they would have to hydrate the animal because that made it much easier to take the skin off of the animal. And so this was common practice. Okay. Common practice specifically with the shlamim because of that halacha that they could keep the skin. So what's going on here? The case is, Right? So they took the para of the shlamim and they walked it through the river. So then, as was very commonly the case, when this shrit of the korban shlamim was taking place, the animal was soaking wet. So much so that all this water from the river is all over the flesh while you are shechting it. And that is, in fact, the reason why it's going to be muksher lekabotuma. That's how this meat got muksher from the soaking wet water of the river. Okay. In the old and olden days, I don't, I don't think anybody in this room is old enough to remember. Remember when dentists used to, used to not wear um, gloves and masks? So I remember, um, I actually am old enough to remember, I think, the no gloves. I'm not sure about the mask. Anyway. So, I don't know, Geronowitz always complains, he says I should, I should be more like Johnny Carson because it's more entertaining. So I do for some reason remember Johnny Carson with a uh, dental joke because he, he used to, because it was in olden days, he used to complain about dentist's breath. He said the only thing that smells worse than a dentist's breath is taking a carpool with five wet grizzly bears. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, uh, that, I can't, uh, that, that image jumped into my mind, unfortunately, when I read about the soaking wet uh, cow and animal. Anyway, all right, five lines up from the wide. It's not because of the, the time that I wasted taking to that joke. It is not for that reason that we're not going to finish all the way to the daf. But God willing, tonight we'll have a little bit of homework, and I wish everybody luck finishing the parak and learning a little extra on Chaf Aleph. But anyways, we're five lines up from the wide lines on Chaf Ahmed Aleph, and Chaf Aleph Ahmed Aleph is where the um, is where the parak ends. Okay, so let's let, let's finish off with Chanina Skanakohanim at least. So at the final statement that was made was Nimtzis Befer right Beperesh Hakol Tahar. This idea that if you found the needle in the excrement of the animal, then everything's going to be tar. And we talked about Kalman's concept of Tuma Belua, and that this needle didn't touch the flesh at all, and therefore the animal passed it all the way through, and that's why the needle becomes tar. But the Gemara asks, de perish, me Yeah, okay, so the excrement passed all the way through the animal. But it touched the animal's intestines, it touched the animal's basar, so why didn't it become tummy from the basar by contact? Okay? So answer the Gemara, Amar Vatabarahate, right? In other words, passing through, in this particular case, by the excrement, why would that necessarily help the tumma? So you're going to say, oh, it's really tumma belua at that point because it never got open. It wasn't there for that stage. That would be Kalman's answer. Let's see what the Gemara answers. Right, because Kalman holds that, he, that uh, holds. Uh, Kalman has alerted us to the fact that when you shech the animal, right, then, then all of a sudden, that which was considered swallowed tumma during the time that it was inside the animal, all of a sudden reappears, resurfaces, as it were, and you get the tumma back. But if it's already been expelled in the excrement, so then it's, it's already past the point of where the tumma can resurface. So let's see. If that's what the Gemara answers. Amar vada barava, beperish ava. Right, so uh, that, that in fact would be true, that would be true if the excrement was in fact thick. Um, right, in other words, if the excrement was thick, so then it in fact get, gets passed all the way through, and therefore the needle's going to be tar. Ravashi, however, says, afilu tema beperish raka. Even if you say, don't forget, this animal is super hydrated, well, that doesn't always... Um, it doesn't always affect it, but let's say the animal was extremely hydrated and the excrement was very, sometimes when you're dehydrated, the excrement is loose. For whatever reason, right, the waste of the animal was very watery. And what the Ravashi is saying is that even if it was watery, even if it was a watery um, excrement, then despite this high water content, it would be mashke saruach. It's considered putrid. And therefore putrid, we say, is not going to be machshel kavotoma, right? And so, and that makes sense. Because I said before, the zayim mashkim, right? So we said, let's say, let's take the dam and the, and, and the mine, right? The last of the seven mashkim. And we said dam doesn't always machshel kavotoma, because that's be dam that, dam kachim would not count, because that's be dam that can be thrown on the ground. So similarly, mine, not all mine is going to be machshel kavotoma. We hold that wastewater, 
and putrid water, it already gets out of the category of mine, right? That's not the kind of mine that can be makshul kabotuma. So that even though there's a lot of things, like waste, and there are a lot of other things, a lot of liquids have a very high water content. But that doesn't mean that we hold like it's mine for the purposes of makshul kabotuma. That kind of sewage is not makshul kabotuma, and therefore that's what you would consider by the innards of the animal, and that's why it works. And we can say now, Hajjan Allah to Khaninas Khan Kohanim, we are at the end of Khaninas' testimony of that needle. And we're going to briefly still talk about Tumma transition. We're going to, so we're two lines up from the wide, and let's keep going. Tani Tani Kameh Dershashis. What time is it? 6.08. Okay. Baruch Hashem. So Tani Tani Kameh Dershashis. Sharas Metame Samashkin, Umashkin Metame Sakli. Okay, this was a brisa, and it was taught before Rishashis. So it was the chain of Tumma, the chain of Tumma passing along. The Sharas was Metame Samashkin. Okay, that, that we understand. We can see a Sharas, we know the Sharas can be Metame Samashkin. Umashkin Metame Sakli. Well, that is, that is controversial. We heard that that was originally uh, the position of Rabbi Yehuda, that the mashkin can be matamei akli, but he had retracted that position. So we'll, we'll look into that, okay? But be that as it may, let's assume the mashkin can be matamei akli. You hold like that, you hold like that shita, right? We had we had four, four different shitas on that. Ukli matamei saochlin, although well, that we know it can. Akli is matamei ochlin. For ochlin matamei sa mashkin, and we know that ochlin can be matamei mashkin, vice versa. Says the brisa, and there you go, three levels of tumah that you can contract from a sheretz. So the first thing the Gemara asks is, wait a minute, the sheretz is matam of the mashkin, that's one. And the mashkin is matam of the kli, that's two. Kli is matam of the ochlin, that's three. Ochlin matam of mashkin, that's four. So why are you now announcing that this is three different transmissions? We just counted four. Says the Gemara, honey, arbahain. I can count the difference between three and four. I just counted four, um, right, transition all the way to the fourth degree tumah, starting from the sheretz. So the Gemara says, guz, mashkin, deresha. Let's delete, cut out the first case of mashkin where the mashkin is matam of the kli. And then you just have the sheretz, the sheretz metame the kli directly. And then the kli metame the ochlin, which is the second, and then the ochlin metame the mashkin, and the third, and it all makes sense, etc. So the Gemara says, though, either Rabbi, Guz mashkin is safer. Why are you taking out the first mashkin? Why don't you take out the last mashkin and have it, the sheretz metame the mashkin, it's metame the kli, it's metame the ochlin, and leave it at that. And then you'll still have three. And so what, who's to say that you're cutting out the, the first mashkin? Why are you not cutting out the second reference to the mashkin? Right, we do. It is interesting you have mashkin twice. So the Gemara says, Lo Yeah, well, the reason we're cutting out the mashkin in the beginning is because the only one of the four shitas that held that a mashkin can actually be metame a kli, right, which we learned by right the Zayn, was Rabbi Yehuda. And in fact, we learned by the time we got to Yud Zayn Rebbez that Rabbi Yehuda retracted that position. And therefore, we learned, and therefore we learned that what? That it's actually three transmissions, starting from the sherets to the kli, and then the kli to the ochlin, and the ochlin to the mashkin, a very straightforward sequence of events, where you get a three degrees of tumah starting from the sherets. Beautiful. And you can even have a mnemonic, says the Gemara, to remember the sequence, the simonech naz yasa. It's a mnemonic, the, the Arsul calls the simon, right? You can remember it from naz yasa. How does, what does naz yasa have to do with this? First of all, what is naz yasa? Naz yasa is a beer keg. So what Rashi explains is you learn it from the beer making process, right? So, Andrew, because you're familiar with making beer, you know when you make beer, you, have the, the, you first have the vessel, and then, right, you, first you have the vessel, and then the vessel you put in the ochlin, like the hops, and then the ochlin, and then you put in the, first you have the vessel, then you put in the hops, and then you put in the liquid, and so that's how you remember the sequence of, of kli, and then solid ochlin, and then mashkin. All right, the, many of us are not master brewers, so I had a cardiologist in Israel who told me, call me, uh, you can email me anytime if you have any questions, and his, his email was masterbrewer.com. At gmail.com, I was like, um, I found that concerning. Like, why, why is he so into brewing beer? Anyway, so four lines up from uh, the bottom over here. It's not awesome. Let's talk about Klicheres and how in Klicheres you can actually transmit Tuma. So we learned in the Mishnah, where was this Mishnah learned? In Kalim. Sheretz shenim tzabetanur. You found Sheretz in the oven. Hapas shibesocho shnia mipnei shatonur tchila. Right. In other words, 
the bread, you have a sheritz and you found in the oven. And you also have bread in the, in the oven because you're baking bread. So the bread is going to be shining the tumah because the oven is considered a rishon the tumah. Well, the chiddush here is that the bread is not a rishon the tumah. Right? You have the sheritz in the same oven as the bread. Why isn't the bread getting the direct tumah from the sheritz? Why is it getting it from the oven in a right sequence? After all, would you consider the entire airspace of a, of a klicheres to be filled with tumah? If so, so then whatever source of tumah you have, in this case it's a sheretz, right? Whatever source of tumah you'd have in the oven would like fill up the entire airspace of the oven, and then the oven itself and everything and all its contents would all be a first degree tumah. And so we have your chiddush. When the sheretz is in the oven, the bread does not become a first degree tumah. It becomes a second degree tumah. It has to go by association through the oven. So amalei rav adabar havel rava v'nechzi l'hay tanor k'man d'malei tumah dami v'tahavi hay pas rishona. This is what Rav Adabarava pointed out. Why are we saying that the bread is a second degree tumah? Let us say that the tanur, right, that the oven is completely filled with tumah, airborne tumah, filling up the airspace of this said oven, oven and creating a first degree tumah with the bread that was baked in it. To which Rav replied as follows, Amalei losaka daitach, Netanya, you should not think that, think of it, that should not be the, your visualization of the oven as being completely full of tumah. Why? Because we learned in Brisa, Yochel yihu kol hakele mitamim me'aver klicheres. You might have thought that everything that's in a oven is in fact tumah because it's as if the oven is completely filled, the airspace is f- filled with tumah. Tamad lomar, as we, as we turn to Chafam Abbez, kol asher betzocho yitmah. The Pasuk says, anything inside it shall be tumah. V'samech leh mikol ha'ochel. And then again, it's juxtaposed immediately following this Pasuk by a qualification. Which is that any food that can be eaten or, or drink or liquid that can be drunk. From that, um, sequence of the psukim, we learn the following inference. Ochel metamim avir klicheres. That the foods can in fact be metamim from the airspace of the, of, of the oven, of the klicheres, but ain't kol hakele metamim avir klicheres. See that? In other words, we learn that the airspace of a klicheres is in fact metamim. But, which means that it says that it's food that's metame from the other klicheres, but kalim not. Now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. This this piece of bread was in fact uh, ochel, <laughs> so then it should be metame from the airspace of klicheres. Okay. So that is that 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 is really, uh, in a certain sense, surprising. But the point of the gemara here is that just but even if it's not ochel, even if it's just kalim, that's not going to be metame directly. The point is that we break this concept of the airborne tumah in a klicheres. That the way Klicheres works is that not like the air is dense with tumah because if that was the case it would be matame both food and kalim right and everything would become a rishon so therefore you have to say that it's not as if the oven is filled with dense tumah but rather it's it it has the tumah because it contains the sheretz and therefore the oven has to sort of contract the tumah and then pass it on to its contact to its contents so that's what so since the kli is a rishon then it that's why it could only contaminate right ochlin and mashkin but not kalim, which is to say that, in other words, the tumah that you're going to contract is not going to be a direct tumah. In other words, just because it te- the pasuk teaches you that the ochlin inside the oven gets tumah doesn't mean that it's the same level of tumah as the sheretz. All it's teaching you is that it's going to be a sheni tumah. Now, kalim can't be the sheni tumah, right? Only ochlin and mashkin can, and ch- what we call chulin, right? Ochlin and mashkin can be sheni tumah. Ah, uh, so now we know why, right? So in other words, we know that it's true that an oven, the inside of a klicharis can in fact impart tumah to its contents, but by the fact that it can only impart tumah to ochlem and mashkin and not to kalim, we learn that it 
creates a sheni b'tumah by the ochlin mashkin, and we learn that the mechanism is not this simultaneous density of tumah that makes everything the same tumah as if the sheretz itself was being metameh, but rather by association, the sheretz is metameh the klicheres, and the klicheres is metameh the contents. And that's why it can only be, if that's the case, then the klicheres can only be metameh the ochlin mashkin and can only make them sheni l'tumah. And the klelim itself, inside, it cannot be metameh at all, and that's why we know that the bread, even though it was simultaneous, is going to be a sheni l'tumah. So it's tameh nonetheless, but a sheni l'tumah. Okay. We, did, we have now concluded the discussion of the Tumah and Tara. How do you to this? If we, we could stop here, it would have been a great accomplishment, but we have minutes left, so let, let, let's keep going. Let's talk about, um, back to, the, to what we discussed in Yodalit. So if you, might, if you can remember back that far, when we started on this journey, we talked about how, whether you can burn Tameh, Truma with, right, that, that Truma that's Suffolk Tameh with Truma that's Suffolk Tahar, or Truma that's Tameh with Truma that's Tluya. Tluya meaning Suffolk Tameh, Suffolk Tahar. And whether you, they can be in the same... Uh, pile and same bonfire on Erev Pesach. So let's go back to that. Let's see. Rechista, Rami, Pischa, Pischa. Rechista was teaching, was trying to talk about, right, what did we say? We said, again, the original mission at the very beginning of this paragraph, we put a bow on it, was, can we in fact burn the Trumatulia with the, with, with, with the Trumatumea, um, Chamez on Erev Pesach in the same bonfire? So he said, well, let's compare it to, let's say, the two Kachim. Kachim Tame, right, and Kachim, or, or wine that was Tame, with wine that was a, sec, a, a first or second degree Tuma. So we had all of these, all of these suggestions, and we said that those are not a good comparison. As Rechisa over here says, Rechisa Rami, Pischa, Pischa. He said that these two kinds of cases are in fact not the same. As follows. really say that both types of Chamates, that can they actually be burnt together in our Mishnah? Viriminhu. We said, in contrast to this, right, we said, Amar Biosi, Ein Hanidon Domelaraya. This is all what we learned then. Rabbi when he saw this comparison in our Mishnah of the Chametz to, let's say, the Korbanos, that this is not a good sushta, right? This is not a good comparison. Why? right? Because when we had this testimony of about what they did in the Beis Amikdash, what was their testimony about? If you're going to say, well, in the Beis Amikdash, this is what we did. We would take the meat that was a, that was, let's say, a Rishon of Lada Tumah, that was, let's say, a Shani Tumah or, or some sort of, sort of meat that was a derivative tumma, if your point was that you have two different meats, right, that are burned together in the base of Mikdash, right, even though they have disparate levels of tumma that they're contaminated with, so you'll say, well, that's not similar to having two kinds of chametz, one that's truma to potentially tahora and one that's Tamea, because in the case of the Besam Mikdash with the meats, both were certainly Tameh. The only difference between them was that they were not the same level of Tumah. So we don't really, usually in life, we try to keep the different levels of Tumah apart. But when you're already burning it on the Mizbeach, we don't care. As long as it's Tameh, we're already not going to be as, right, particular about what level of Tumah we're burning. We can burn the different levels of Tumah together. And similarly, um, with regards to the oil, the Shemen, Alright, calendrical coincidence. We already said it. So let's say the oil, of truma was was came in contact with a tefillah, so that's a lower level of tuma of ner shenitma bitzmei meis. Certainly, right? That's a more intense tuma. And yet, we would burn those two types of oil together. They could be lit in the same menor, in the same chanukiah, as it were, in the same menorah. So I would say bitzmei meis. I will say is that possible? Is that tame? Right? Okay. So fine. The one that the shemen that was nisla bitzvuliyom. Remember, the tefillah is a sheni tuma. The shemen, therefore, it is only going to contract it. It's only going to contract the third degree tumma because it's truma, right? Because it's in fact more susceptible to tumma than most chulin, and therefore we call it puzzle. But it's it's tummy, but puzzle is what we call something which is at the end of the line. It can't impart tumma. But be that as it may, that shaman that got the tul yom, uh, that got tummy from the tul yom is puzzle, which means that it's tummy itself. And the other shaman certainly that was nitme between mace, that's a more intense tumma. So, but they're both in, in essence 
Tameh. And in that case, we're going to say that certainly you could um, burn them together because they're both, not neither of them, Tahor. So therefore, they will also agree. That these two Trumas that had the contamination by varying degrees of Tuma, that they can be burned together. But how can you compare the case of the oil and the case of the Basar to this what? To this case of Hametz, where you have one, okay, it's for sure Vade Tameh, and the other pile is what? Tluya. It could be Tahar Lagamre. It could be completely Tahar. Shema Yavoy Yavoy Tarem. Maybe Eliyahu Navi is going to come and reveal that that pile of Truma Tluya, uh, that pile of Suffolk Truma, was in fact completely Tahar. And then it would have turned out that you didn't burn two different levels of Tuma, but you literally burned something Tameh with something Tahar. That we could never allow. That's certainly not um, a, compar- a proper comparison. So you can't compare the levels of Tumah with the meat and levels of Tumah with the oil to one thing that's Tameh and another thing that possibly could be Tahar Lagamre with the Hametz. So Mishani Rav Chista resolved the contradiction as follows. How Rabbi Shimon Valibad Rabbi Shua and how Rabbi Yossi Valibad Rabbi Shua. It was a machlokes Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Yossi, right, as to whether you can burn Truma Taluya together with Tamei Truma. Um, and Rabbi Yossi held that even Rabbi Yeshua would say that you can't that you can't do it. But Rabbi Shimon said that in fact that's okay. He allows it. Okay. To which the Gemara says, how do we know that? The Tanya, the Gemara says, our boss has shachalios b'Shabbos as we will have this year. Erev Pesach the falls out on Shabbos. Mivar and Sakal Melifnei Hashabbos. And you have to do on Erev Shabbos all the burning. The surfin, as we already re- recorded this, surfin trumos to meos, plus with the all the different kinds of trumos. David Rebbe Meir, the Rebbe actually, as you might recall, said that you can burn everything together, even at the tahor with the tummy. Wow. Rabbi Yossi, however, was the other extreme, that everything is compartmentalized, different piles of beer chametz. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, tahor bifneatzma, plus bifneatzma. That each of the categories has to be burned by itself. And I'm a Rabbi Shimon. Right? That Rabbi Eliezer and Yeshua both agreed that you don't want to burn Tame with Tahar. Remember, there is a man. I'm a Rabbi Meir said that it was okay that the Tahar and, and Tame. Why do you say it was okay? As you might recall, it's not quite as horrible as you might think because at the end of the day, right, they're both being burned. So they're both being burned anyway. So once they're both being burned, they sort of lose all their characteristics, whether it's star, it's not any of their value. So it's as if, so, so it's the great equalizer, right? The fire makes everything like, like dust anyways. So Rabbi Mayer has, is right to say it, but we were so careful about keeping Tuma and Tara apart. Oh, I didn't realize what time it was, that we, I apologize. So anyway, we see in the end that this was in fact the Machlokas Tanaim in the Mishnah. We arrived almost to 12 lines down from the wide lines, and we were zokhe to finish the concept of Chanin Eskan Kohanim, may it become Alach soon.